0: As we get closer to discussing dating, engagement, marriage, relationships, we can't forget where we've come from so far. Every relationship in life flows out of your walk with Christ. Your closest to Him will determine how you biblically handle other relationships. Your relationship with your parents and siblings will have a direct effect on how you conduct yourself with who you choose to date. I don't know if that should be whom or who, but... Microsoft Word didn't correct me, so I just left it as that. But saying it out loud doesn't seem right. Anyways, I digress. Likewise, the friendships you have with both the lost and saved world are no different. You know, for those of you who maybe have missed last couple of weeks, again, check out the, the messages on the podcast. But, uh, you know... It's funny, I I never envisioned this class going this direction, but as I've been studying this out and as I've been writing this, it's just kind of funny how God keeps bringing these things up. And I never really saw biblical relationships from this perspective before that, and it makes so much sense. Obviously, the relationship you have with people in your own family and your friends, they play a direct result into who you're going to date and what that person's going to be like and how you're going to be in dating and things of that sort. You know, we talked a couple weeks back about parents that... You need to get to know your parents. You need to get to know the things that make them who they are. You need to spend time with them. Ask them questions about themselves and their likes, their dislikes, things like that. Because, as we talked two weeks ago, their DNA is in you. That means the things that you might like about them, the things that, yes, even the things you might hate or can't stand about them, you better beware because they're probably going to show themselves in you in some form or another. And so we need to be aware of these things because it will follow you into who you decide to date. And the same thing with sibling relationships. With siblings, I mean, this is where you get to learn things like conflict resolution, a big must when it comes to dating, when it comes to marriage. Conflict resolution, living with somebody, a big thing that happens only in marriage. You get to see that and you get to see, how do I navigate through difficulties with my siblings? And it was funny because I'm like, man, how do we really tie this in with friends? How can friends really be you know, something that I get to glean from as it pertains to biblical relationships? And yeah, there's the obvious answer of, well, obviously, if it's a friend that's a member of the opposite sex, that's probably who I'm going to be dating. But I started thinking about it from this perspective. You know, when it comes to your parents, again, because they're your blood, it's very, very easy for you to glean things from them. And the same thing with your siblings, your brothers and your sisters. It may be easier to overcome any kind of conflicts that you have with them because they're your blood. You live with them. You know how easy it is for me to love unconditionally and love sacrificially my boys? I will never forget it. The moment, I, I wish I had a picture up here. And those of you guys who've been to our house, you've probably seen it. Like the day that Wyatt was born, Megan Winica was in the room with us and she took you know our 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 you know what do you call them baby pictures birth pictures birth pictures and she got just a couple of me where like my life or my my face just lit up and I was just glowing i'm telling you guys you're not going to identify with this you're not going to get it until years down the road if the lord doesn't come back by then but when you become a parent it absolutely changes your life it it almost literally is like salvation all over again Because your old life before that is never the same. We were actually just talking the other day about how it's almost like you can't... And you guys are going to think this sounds miserable and horrible, but it's actually not. We were just joking the other day. We are like, we almost can't remember what our life was like before kids. That's not to say because our entire life is engulfed and surrounded around our kids or anything like that. No, it just means that you have responsibilities now. You're taking care of someone that has been entrusted to you by the Lord... And it's your own blood. It's your own flesh. And you're just, you, you have this immense love for this person. It's almost like, man, can you believe that we used to like get off work at five o'clock and just, you know, go out to eat whenever we wanted? We were joking. Like, you remember we just used to sit and watch, you know, Netflix or go out to a movie and like have, like do whatever we wanted. Like you, it's almost like a foreign concept to us now when we have kids, But I wouldn't change anything because I love and adore my kids. I would do anything for them and it's so easy for me to. When it comes to loving sacrificially and unconditionally my wife, that takes work. Which is maybe something that you don't actually realize and grasp about a biblical relationship as it pertains to dating, engagement, marriage. There's work involved with that. Why? Predominantly, first and foremost, that person is not your blood. Easy with your parents, easy with siblings, and for me, very easy with my kids. But it can be work to implement the biblical relationships or the biblical responsibilities that I'm supposed to exude as a husband because Heather is not my flesh and blood. We're different personalities. And even if you guys start dating somebody who is man, a kindred spirit with you, where you guys are like this, thick as thieves, you're still going to run into things down the road we're like, "Oh, never saw that side of you before. Oh,'re you're just going <laughs> to put the dish in the sink and the dishwasher's empty. You can just go ahead and just put it right on in there. Oh no, OK, all right, maybe we'll talk about it later. That may or may not have happened the first week of marriage. Yeah surprise hey you might be surprised who the one was that left the dish in the sink that's all i'm gonna say no 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 bite, bite. you better admit that right now and then that's where i'm like it's the same thing with friends it may be a little bit harder to go through conflict resolution with your friends because they're not your blood And so, what we're going to discuss today, and more than likely next week too, is the fact that this also plays a huge role as to who you're going to date, what marriage is going to be like, because this gives you a glimpse of, all right, this person's not my blood, how do I handle things with them? So keep that in mind. This is why we're going through these kind of relationships. I know we want to get to the nitty gritty of like, right, let's talk about dating, let's talk about who I should date, what does the Bible have to say about that? But we need to establish these foundations first. This is key and crucial. So, I have Proverbs 13:20 down here, and they really serve as our two main points, and they serve as the two, you know, differentiating parts there. The thing I love about Proverbs is how, you know, the first half of the verse will say one thing, and then the second half says the opposite. Here's what, you're going to be blessed if you do this, you're going to be cursed if you don't do that. Here's a blessing to the wise, here's a curse for the fools. And Proverbs 13:20 is no different. It says, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And that breaks down perfectly in what we're going to be talking about as far as saved friends versus lost friends. So, on your outline here, every Christian should seek to have these three types of friend groups in their walk with the Lord. And this is awesome. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this before. I think it was Pastor Rory who first kind of broke this down, and I never really saw this before. But the very first person or type of friend that you should have in your life, In the first blank on your outline, point number one is a Paul. Not a Paul. Paul. P-A-U-L. A -A, Paul. Because think about who Paul was. He was a discipler. He was a mentor. And he was a counselor. You guys are in Proverbs 27, right? Look with me in verse 6. Faithful... Are the wounds of a friend, but... Are you guys not there? Okay. 27 verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. A true friend will tell you the truth, even if it hurts. And typically speaking, that comes from somebody who is a little bit further advanced in their walk. Maybe like a, a teacher, a or a counselor. They're going to be calling you out on things if they, what they see is not lining up with the Word of God. If your walk is not matching your talk. And that's what the Bible says a friend should be. But notice the second half of that verse, kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You have somebody who's just constantly flowering you up, constantly buttering you up, constantly telling you everything that you want to hear. That's not a true friend. Because when you actually do have somebody who hits you with constructive criticism, you're not going to know how to take it. And that's why the friendships with people like that or Paul is so utterly crucial. But jump down to verse 9. And this is really the verse why I put this here for him. It says, Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart, so doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. When a man goes to somebody who is not as far advanced in their walk with them and gives them counsel, helps them, guides them through life's obstacles, that is somebody you want to be around. That is a friend that you need to have. That's a type of a Paul in your life. So on your outline, this is somebody that you want to seek counsel from, that first bullet point. We're going to stay in Proverbs for the most part, but just go ahead and flip back to chapter 11. Out of curiosity, does anybody here do a proverb a day for your Bible reading? Okay. I'll tell you what, uh, for those of you that may struggle getting up in the mornings or, or leaving yourself enough time, uh, y- y- let's say you're in like another book of the Bible. If you find yourself struggling with that, man, at the very least, just jump over to Proverbs. If it's, what day is it today? The 25th? 26. Read Proverbs 26. And tomorrow, when you guys wake up, and if you don't have time to actually dive into wherever God has you in your book, read chapter 27. That way you're at least getting something that you can feast on. Because, man, I'll tell you what, it's the book of Proverbs for a reason. It's wise counsel for a reason. Look at chapter 11, verse 14. Where no counsel is, what? Hmm. But in the multitude of counselors, there's what? You know, I've talked about this before, but even for those of you who are juniors, uh, and you start contemplating what your plans are after high school. Whatever you're thinking, even if you feel like you have it not nailed down and you know for sure what you're going to be doing, run it by a multitude of counselors. Run it by your teachers and leaders. Run it by your parents. Run it by other disciples. Run it by other pastors. Run it by other older people who are Pauls in your life that would be able to give you feedback and counsel as to what you should do. Hey, that might actually be a good idea. Hey, that's a good idea, but consider this. Hey, I think that's an awful idea. Here's something maybe you should direct your attention towards. There's safety in that. You know why? Because what does Jeremiah 17.9 say about our very own hearts? Deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? You can't even know your own heart. That's why you need outside perspective in order to help you. People who observe you, people who know you, people who would be able to help guide you in these things. We all need Pauls in our life. We all need a multitude of counselors that would help guide us in those things. Jump over to chapter 15. No, it's okay. I already know what I'm going to do. I got my plans nailed down. Somebody read verse 22 for me. AJ. Uh, Without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. You might have everything nailed down. You might know, quote unquote, for certain what it is you're going to do. But if you don't have counsel behind it, if you don't have other people telling you, yeah, it's a great idea, your purposes and plans might just be disappointed. You might end up with a lot of heartache one day, because you weren't supposed to do that. You weren't supposed to go down that path. You weren't supposed to go down that particular path at that particular time. I mean, I don't know. I, I'll probably get into this at a, at a later time, but there are moments where I wonder, it's like, man, should I have actually done part-time job? full-time college and the Bible Institute all at the same time. There are moments where I wonder, man, maybe I should have waited for the one, or maybe I shouldn't have even done one of them and gone on to the other one. I think about that a lot. And I even did seek counsel on it. So that just goes to show... That even when you do seek counsel, man, you still don't know you better seek more counsels. You better have a multitude, not just three or four, not just, again, the people who are going to tell you exactly what you want to hear. Maybe, maybe, there's, maybe it's me. Maybe there's a leader in this room or a junior high leader that you just really didn't get along with. And you're like, man, I don't really want to know what they're going to say because they're going to tell me what I don't want to hear. Those are the exact kind of people you need to go to. Because maybe there's a reason why they're going to tell you what you don't want to hear. And yeah, that goes even for, I'm thinking about asking this person out. I'm thinking about maybe going on a date with this person, etc. and so forth. Chapter 24. Who wants to read verse 6? Kendall. By wise counsel thou shalt make thy war, and in the multitude of counselors there is I love that first half of the verse. We already saw the second half, but again, when God repeats himself, better perk your ears up, because it doesn't happen too often. But he says, Wise counsel, man, make war with it. Do you guys know that every single war that our country has ever gotten involved in, even ones where we were deliberately attacked, It never just happened. We're like, all right, load them up, go get them. No, there was always a lot of counsel. There was always a lot of contingencies. There was always a lot of, well, should we or shouldn't we? Okay, if we do do this, what are the possible avenues that things could go wrong and how do we get out of that? There's a lot of planning and a lot of strategy involved when it comes to these things, especially warfare. Now, as I mentioned before, who you are going to date Hopefully, it should be somebody that you're planning on marrying. Again, more on that in a couple weeks. And if it's someone you're planning on marrying, it is the second most important decision of your entire life, of your entire existence, outside of receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you aren't looking at this with a battle strategy, if you aren't looking at this from a perspective of going to war, not with the person you're going to date, but looking at it from that perspective, because this has everything to do with the spiritual warfare we've been talking about in the last couple Wednesday nights. Who is that person that's going to help you in that spiritual warfare? Who is that person that's going to help you stay confirmed, or committed and firm in your commitments? If you don't seek counsel as though you're about to go off for the war of your soul and for the rest of your life, man, purposes are going to be disappointed. Your plans and purposes are going to fall. We need counselors. We need mentors. We need disciplers in our lives who will help point us in that direction. Each and every single one of us do. Uh, Paul is someone you can seek counsel from. I mean, first and foremost for me, when I started walking with God, the very first person I had was Jay Boffman. Um, very similar circumstances, both come from broken homes. Uh, And so I had someone that I could, man, here's how things are going with my mom right now, or here's how things are going with my brother right now. How was things like with you when you were in that situation? I was able to glean so much from him. He wasn't just my youth leader. He was my friend. He was a Paul in my life. And he helped me out uh, through a lot of things because of the similarities that we had there. And then I remember it was my junior year of high school, that was when uh, the winnicas first started coming to this church. And so, you know, Stephen was only four years older than me. And so he, of course, when God got a hold of him in the senior high, he gravitated towards people that were in the senior high and, and just kind of took me under his wing. I remember it was after camp. He was a counselor that year. And uh, after camp, he was like, hey, you believe you have a call in your life for ministry? I do, too. Let's get together on Sundays after church and let's go through this book study together. And I'll never forget it. It was one of the the highlights of that summer for me. Really also because, I mean, Jay was really the only other counselor that I had. I didn't have anybody who was a closer peer. Peer, but also Paul, because he was further along in his walk than I was. And it was so huge, and it was so implemental in my life to be able to have someone like that who just took me under their wing, sought me out, and spent time with me and invested in me in a non-formal discipleship kind of relationship. Because you guys do realize that when you have a discipleship relationship, it doesn't mean that you have to go through a book, the student journey book. And it doesn't mean that somebody needs to reach out to you. There are plenty of people that you can seek out and say, Hey, uh, I'd like to get together with you, have coffee, and just kind of run some things by you. And if you need help with finding somebody in the church that's like that, come talk to us. If it's not us and you want somebody else, we will definitely point you in the right way depending on whatever it is that you're looking for counsel on. Because, man, I'll tell you what, that was so huge. And then even later in life, I would get together with Pastor Rory and just grab coffee with him and just talk to him about things, and he would talk about his life stories. I mean, those of you guys who were at winter camp two years ago, you know exactly about those life stories and those circumstances. And, man, it was just so huge to be able to have somebody who's older, who's further along in their walk, to come and to instill their wisdom and their counsel into me. Each and every single one of us need Pauls in our life. And it's not just one discipler. The person who took you through student journey. Multitude. Multitude. And one of the things that I am so looking forward to in the next month here is just being, having the freedom to be able to be like, Hey, wow, I don't have to work at 1.30. My job will be being with you guys. And I feel like I haven't been able to be with a lot of you fellas um, to have that one-on-one time with you. And I'm sorry if you feel that way. And so I'm really looking forward to just being able to have that freedom to be able to spend more time with you guys and to instill my life and to help you guys not make the same dumb mistakes that I've made throughout the course of my life and to help you with that because we all need Pauls. It's not only someone that you can seek counsel from, but it's someone that you can come to, second bullet point, someone you can come to in order to learn about life and glean from their experiences. I guess I just mentioned that. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9 and 11 on here. The first relationship I thought of, and maybe it's not one youth guys think about, but it's Elijah and Elisha, probably because I just mentioned them on Wednesday nights. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah, the disciple, or the Paul, if you will, said unto Elisha, his disciple, ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Did did Elijah die? No. He was caught up. He was raptured up, if you will. Hmm. And when the sons of the prophets, and this is afterwards, a few verses later. So in other words, you guys see the point here. Elijah said, hey, you know what? Your request about a double portion of my spirit being with you, my life being like you now. If you see something happen that has never happened before, then it's going to come true. Well, something happened that never happened before. And so here we are in verse 15. When the sons of the prophets which were to view at Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. Again, as we, go, we talked about in week two, the, the picture of a, a relationship between parents and children. The parents, I mean, they create kids in their own image. So those kids are going to have traits of the parents and then the parents are going to instill things even further into them. It's the same thing with discipleship. The discipler is going to instill things into the disciple, so the disciple mirrors or looks like his discipler. Elijah and Elisha. Paul, and as we'll see here in the second point, Paul's disciple. So that's what it should be like for us. Not only that, but... What just happened? Oh, it's delaying again. Oh, stupid. There we go. What about Ruth chapter one? Do you guys remember the story of Ruth? Ruth's whole family ends up getting taken out, her husband's and her what it was her sister-in-law's husbands, I believe also. So it was just Ruth and her sisters and her mother-in-law. And the mother-in-law says, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said to her mother-in-law, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught be death part thee and me. When she, the mother-in-law, saw that she, Ruth, was steadfast-minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. See how committed Ruth was to staying with somebody who was farther along in life? See how committed Ruth was to having a friend who would be able to guide her through all of life's difficulties? Man... And as a result of that, what happened to Ruth? She got to meet the man of her dreams. She got to meet Boaz. And she got to be part of the lineage that brought the Savior into this world. Had she not sought out Naomi? Had she not sought her out to have that kind of mentor-counselor-type relationship? Who knows how the story would have been different? Who knows how different your story would be if you don't? It might be hard and difficult to have somebody like that as a close friend, but I'm telling you this, man, I'm still close with all three of those guys I'd mentioned today. Very close. Someone you can learn from and glean about their life experiences, and I've gleaned things from all three of their life experiences too. That's a Paul. That's the type of friend that you should have. The second type of friend you should have kind of mirrors the Ruth and Elisha relationship. But it's Paul's disciple, Timothy. Another type of friend that each and every single one of us should have in here is a Timothy, which would be a disciple or a protege. Someone who's a little bit younger. Someone who's a little bit not as advanced as where you are, that you can wrap your arm around and help guide through life. Turn over to Proverbs 17. You know, the thing I loved about I was excited to do this class. Was you know when we took that sor- that survey and that poll of what class do you guys want to have? You know back in the summertime on the index cards, some of you had mentioned biblical relationships, but you know, I think there was at least one of you who said, "Man, I just want to know what type of friends I should have. What are some good godly friends? What does a good friendship look like as opposed to a rotten one?" And so that's really where this message was born out of. So Proverbs seventeen seventeen. I need a reader for that one. Sammy moment at all times and a brother is born for.: adversity. I love it. A brother is born for adversity. I never really saw this verse like that before, but you know when we're talking about a brother being born, that implies that you're already alive. So this is a younger brother who just maybe became born again is the picture. So you should have somebody who's maybe just newly saved or someone who's just decided to start walking and taking their walk with the Lord seriously and that you can be that big brother to to help them, to help spur them on in order to kind of be that adversity of like, hey, maybe you shouldn't go down that path. Hey, maybe being with this group of people isn't that wise of a decision. You should be there to help be that adversity to them and that you be that big brother kind of a role to the younger brother. That's what Paul was to Timothy. Look over at chapter 18, verse 24. Read it for that one. Someone from the left side of the room. No one in the left side of the room has anything yet? Or you're right, my left. I'll do any meeny miny mo. I don't care. Mason, go ahead. Verse 24. A man that hath friends And there's a friend that's closer than a. Man, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Again, talking about that brother being born for adversity, you ought to stick closer to them. They ought to be closer. The people in this room ought to be more closer than your own kin than your own flesh and blood. And certainly the people in this room ought to be your best friends more than your school friends. Really, that's a. I was going to get to that here in the second one, or in the third one, but really, that's the whole point of that. Having a friend that sticks closer than a brother, because why? If you're in here and you're saved, you are a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. You have other brothers and sisters in Christ because the same Spirit of God dwells inside of you that maybe doesn't for any of your friends at school. You ought to have friends in this room that stick closer than blood. And if you want friends, you better show yourself friendly. The other takeaway from that verse, but the real point that I wanted to hammer on that is, again, sticking with this whole brother theme. Brother is born for adversity. You being a friend that sticks closer to a brother, seek out somebody who is like a younger brother. Again, the most practical application for this is you upperclassmen, reach out to some of the freshmen. Yeah, reach out even to the junior hires. Ask them from time to time. I mean, yeah, I love it when you guys come in here and fellowship here, but every now and then, if you see them out in the hallway, talk with them. Strike up a conversation with them. Hey, how's school going for you? Do you remember what it was like being a junior higher? In some cases, it was even more awkward than what high school is. That's what they're going through now. Ask them how they're doing. Reach out to them. Maybe they can glean something from you. Maybe you can be a multitude of counselors to them. And you would probably be able to help save them from going down an avenue or a path that you went down. And you'd want to save them from the time and the pain and the hurt of having to repeat those same mistakes yourself. Reach out to them. Upperclassmen in here to underclassmen in here. Man. Freshman year is weird. It wasn't so much for Perry because back when I was in Perry, the way the high school is structured, it was just sophomore, junior, senior in the high school, and then at Edison or the middle school was eighth and ninth grade. So I didn't even really feel like I was in high school when I went to ninth grade. It wasn't until tenth grade that you felt that way. Because man, you're like, I've never seen these seniors before. It was just weird. And but again, freshman, I mean, going from middle school to high school, it's a huge transition. We need people who are farther along to help us navigate through new friends, new struggles, new weird things happening with my mind and my body as that is constantly changing right now. Teenagers, not mine. Mine's not. Huh? No, that's, that happened a long... It's actually, it's kind of stopped. It's kind of stopped. It happened a while ago, but... Anywho... So it's someone you can impart lessons learned from life so that they don't repeat your mistakes is the first bullet point. Someone you can impart your lessons learned from life so that they don't repeat your mistakes. I can't do anything to help you not have your hair loss happen. Sorry, I can't be a counselor to you on that one. That's just genetics. Again, sticking with this whole Elijah-Elisha thing. Hey, 1 Kings 19. We talked about 1 Kings 18 just this past Wednesday about Elijah when he was going up against the prophets of Baal. You remember what happened in chapter 19? Jezebel, the harlot, with her witchcraft, got all of her other prophets that God hadn't consumed on Mount Carmel in chapter 18 and said, go get Elijah. And you know what Elijah does? After this awesome victory he just has in the Lord, he runs and hides because he's scared. After what he just saw God do, he was scared So he's in this cave and he's hiding and God starts talking to him in the still small voice and he says, hey, I got 7,000 of all of Israel, verse 18, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal. In other words, you're not alone, Elijah. Go out and seek them. Go out and find somebody that in case you do get taken out, because it's probably going to be happening soon, you can pass on what you know to them to help so that they avoid their pitfalls. Verse 19, So he departed thence and found who? Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen. Uh, I'm going to have to make a mental note to come back to that next week. Let me just tell you this, and for those of you who know where we're going next week with 2 Corinthians 6.14, you want to find other people who are plowing with oxen. You want to yoke yourself with people who are also fellow oxen. More on that next week. You don't want to be unequally yoked with jackasses. That's the analogy. In the Bible, a jackass or a donkey is a picture of a lost person. An ox is a picture of a saved person. We are not to be unequally yoked. More on that next week with friends, and definitely more on that when we get to dating. Ox and ass, you don't put them together in a yoke to plow a field. Would you do that with your farm? Wouldn't get anything done, would you? Because an ass is a stubborn animal. It keeps yanking itself this way, while an ox is trying to plow forward. Elisha was an ox. He surrounded himself with other oxen. Elijah sought out his disciple who was involved in the work. That's a friend to seek out. And 1 Timothy one thirteen says... You know, Paul's talking to Timothy here. He's writing to him, and he says, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor. Paul's talking about his own life and what he went through. I was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. Here in this letter from Paul the discipler to Timothy his disciple, Paul's unveiling all of the things that he went through. He's saying, hey man, here's my past mistakes, and here's how I found mercy in the Lord. And Timothy, no doubt in this point, knew this stuff. But he's just reminding him. But again, the point I'm trying to make with that verse is that there was a conversation that took place from somebody who was further along in their walk to somebody who wasn't as far along in their walk to avoid the pitfalls that Paul had made. Have you made mistakes in the last year? We'll just stick to this past year. Maybe people you got close to that you wish you didn't. How can you help somebody else that they don't make the same exact mistake? That's the type of friend you should have. Not only that, but in the second bullet point, it's someone you can help guide through storms and other difficulties. Man, you know what? Hold your place here. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Do not lose your place in Proverbs. I thought we could get through the whole study sheet today. <laughs> Hey, good news is we're gonna end early. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna prove it to you. I'm gonna prove it to you. I heard that. I think that was Jamie. All right, verse 18. She's not here, <laughs> wasn't her, <laughs> it was the disembodied spirit of Jamie. Actually, it's probably the disembodied spirit of Andy. Verse 18. This charge I commit unto thee. Notice what he calls him son Timothy. Oftentimes in the Bible you hear him calling him my own son in the faith. Because Timothy was his disciple. For those of you who are discipling right now, who are a discipler, discipling either a junior higher or maybe somebody at school, man, that's how you ought to be with your disciple. You ought to be that close with them. Maybe you didn't have that experience as a disciple. Then learn from it. And do better. Do better than the experience you had. That's what I meant by that. Not to say that it was your fault before. This charge I commit unto thee, Son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou, by them, the words, in other words, the word of God, mightest war a good warfare. And Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 is where Christ says, Hey, take my yoke upon you, yoke, and learn of me. Christ sought out people who were Timothys in His life, His disciples. You ought to have those friends too. And it's funny, I, you know, I've had many disciples in my life and I'm very close with many of them. Um, very close with Tyler Ziss, uh, you know, very close, speaking just of senior high material, um, Garrett Johnson, but I mean, one that, you know, stands out that I remember seeing just the biggest change. And, you know, I was able to guide all those other guys in their life, but the one that I saw just the biggest change in transformation was Luke Johnston, for those of you who know him. He's helping out right now in the senior high for, or the youth group for GBC. Um, but I remember when we, he and I first started meeting, it wasn't one that I sought out. It was a relationship that Stephen put together. <laughs> he's probably gonna, well. He won't hate me for it. We joke about it all the time, but he actually, when we started discipleship, he was not walking with God, and I didn't know this at the time. He would tell me later. He's like, "Yeah, uh, I was still smoking weed when you and I started," <laughs> and I'm like, "I don't know why I said that. It was just funny because I'm like, I remember when he told me. I'm like, I had no idea. I was like, I thought you were walking with. I thought this was you wanted to do this. He's like, no, it was like Stephen set it up, and I wasn't really wanting to do discipleship. But all of that." Changed for him when we started meeting. I'll never forget the turning point was there was one night where we met where we didn't even get into the material at all and he was sharing with me things that he was going through at school and I'm like, holy smokes, has high school really changed this much and gotten this worse since I was in it? And I remember I was able just to kind of give him things and help him navigate it. And, and I remember we closed down Starbucks that night. And we even, I, I, he didn't drive then, so I took him home. And we were in his driveway for another two hours just talking about these things. And it was from that moment on that our friendship really developed. And we've been friends ever since then. And to this day, I'm still able to, well, well, that's the thing. I mean, there comes a point where you mature and you're able to lead your family and lead yourself too, but we still remain close. And so that's where you all ought to have those friends and all seek those kinds of friends that it doesn't go just within the book every single week for one hour. But you guys are hanging out together and you're investing your life and instilling your life into them. That's a friend to look for. And a Timothy. And then, lastly, flip back to Proverbs 27. You might be thinking, man, that's not what most of my friendships are like. Well, be prepared to what? Hence the room every week. A constant reminder. Change sucks. We don't like it. I get it. I'm there with you. But this needs to be the boss. This needs to be what's in charge of us. I get it. Most of our friends are this third group here a peer to peer relationship. But we all need Paul's in our life. We all need Timothy's in our life. Look at uh, verse 17 of Proverbs 27. Iron sharpeneth iron, peer to peer so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. The third type of friend group you should have is a Barnabas. Barnabas, a peer, an encourager. Someone who is in the same level of playing field, the same walk of spiritual life as you, that helps spur you on to love and good works. Someone who's going to sharpen you as you sharpen them. Now you might be thinking, yeah, this is the friend group that really, I think about it, all of you guys really are in. You guys all have close friends. They're like, man, they're like your brother. They're like your sister. You're so close with them. Is this what happens in those friend groups that you have? If not, then come back next week. But it's someone, first bullet point, someone who will be by your side through thick and thin. All right, we're done with Proverbs. Turn over to the book of Acts. We'll speed through these. Who is this Barnabas guy? Well, if Paul and Timothy have a connection and relationship, you'll see that Barnabas also does. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 36. That's where we first see this guy show up. And Joseph, who by the apostles were surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted? Here's his name meaning the son of what? Consolation. Consolation, a Levite in the country of Cyprus. Barnabas was a great encourager. When somebody was going through a hard time, he was there. He was one you could always count on to pick up the phone whenever you dialed. Back then they had beepers and pagers, but it's a joke. That was a horrible joke. It wasn't in my notes. Trip, uh, jump over to chapter nine. That's where everyone just turned off the podcast. Alright, that joke was awful. Turn it off. Yeah, Some of you guys didn't even hear it. Neither did they. They fell asleep. Proverbs 9.27 But Barnabas took him. Alright, what happens in chapter 9 of Acts? Who? What? Saul's conversion. Saul gets saved. Put yourself in Saul's shoes. What did he do before he gets saved? kill people people that believe the same thing you and i do in this room imagine there's a serial killer in jackson township who's killing high school teenagers who just so happen to be christians and then that guy gets saved i put quote marks around it but would you believe it when you heard it not at all and imagine someone's gonna have to love on this guy Acts 9, 27. But Barnabas took him, the son of consolation, and brought him to the apostles and declared on him. Honestly, I guess you could say that Barnabas was a Paul to Paul at this point. And brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Hey, do you have a sketchy past? Have you maybe done things that you're not proud of? And you feel as though there's no redeeming quality for you. You feel like there's no way you're going to be accepted. Yeah, so did Paul. And it took one person to wrap his arm around him and convince the others, this guy's different. Maybe you don't have a sketchy past, but maybe somebody does. Maybe you need to be that son of consolation and wrap your arm around that person and forever change their life. Because that's what happened to Paul. Who knows what his life would have been like had that guy not been there by his side. You're not going to know if you're just around the same people every single week. Make your rounds. Someone's going to be there through thick and thin. Jump over to chapter 13. There's a disputation going on you know, with the Jews in the synagogue coming against the word of God. Verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold. They were together in this tough time where false doctrine was being presented, and they waxed bold to preach the word of God together. Jump over to chapter 15, verse 2. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, there was another argument they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem and the apostles and elders about this question. They were peers. They spurred each other on. They were co-leaders who were like, man, you and I joining our shields, locking our shields together, we're stronger of a force together than we were just individually. Those type of relationships ought to be happening in this room. You're provoking uh, each other to love and good works, as Hebrews 10.24 says. Next point. This is someone who will push you in your walk with the Lord and who knows you'll do the same for them. Look at verse 36 of chapter 15. We talked about this this past summer when we did a little mini-series on people of the Bible. We talked about John Mark. Remember, John Mark was the nephew of Barnabas. John Mark also walked away from the Lord. Paul didn't trust him. Barnabas had mercy on him. Look at verse 36. Some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. And Paul thought not good to take them with them, who departed from them. He left the work, went with them not. And the contention between Paul and Barnabas was so sharp between them, Iron sharpens iron. That they departed asunder from one the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus. Yeah. When two pieces of iron hit each other, there's going to be sparks. But you're going to be sharper as a result of it. It's conflict resolution. Move on. Move past it. And they eventually did. Point is... If God has you in a certain spot and God, you see that, man, God's really working in this person's life too, and we both kind of see them the same, be, seem to be on the same track right now, we should probably hang out. Hey, you want to get coffee this week? Because I'm telling you. That's the kind of stuff as you read the book of Acts that flipped the entire world upside down, literally. That verse is in the Bible in the book of Acts. These types of relationships did just that. And it can happen for this youth ministry too. Man, I had someone like that in the senior high. And we were peers. And it was funny because to look at us, we had nothing in common. At first, he was in, uh, my buddy Ben was in lacrosse, and I was done with sports at that point in my life because I rededicated my life and didn't want anything to do with it. And, uh, you know, different music tastes, things of that sort. But man, I'll tell you what, when we finally realized, hey, uh, you're passionate about youth ministry. I'm passionate about youth ministry. We both love solid. We both want to shine our lights in our schools. We both care about the people in this ministry. Why aren't we hanging out? And it took us a year of being in this youth ministry before we finally hooked up and became friends. And, of course, Stephen kind of helped gel that all together. And the three of us became, we lived this out, the Paul, Timothy, and Barnabas relationship, all three of us. And even though our interests might have been different, and even though he liked things that I didn't, man, he was a brother. We slayed some giants together. And I very, have very fond memories of the things that he and I were able to do in this youth ministry together when we were students. So question for you, what's your testimony like with the people in this room? And with other believers, do any changes need to occur? Philippians 1.27, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. You know what that word conversation means? It means lifestyle. It means your testimony. You know Why? because your testimony your life speaks let your testimony be as we come with the gospel of Christ that whether I come and see you or else be absent I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel and first john 3:14 we know that we have passed from death unto life have you passed from death unto life are you saved are you all seven of you awesome if you know this, here's an here's a, a, a assurance thereof. You know that you're saved because you love the brethren. You know there's actually a study you can do. There's 12, we call them assurances, found just in 1 John. This is how you know you're saved. If you have love for the people in this room, even though they're different and they might be corkier, or they might be completely weird in some cases, you have a love for them because you know what? Man, you love Christ Jesus Christ got a hold of you and changed your life. Same thing with me. Man, I love being around you. If not, might want to look at the other 11. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. My little children, let us not love in word. I love you. Neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Those are the friends to look for. Those are the friends that we all should have. Anything else, come back next week we'll look at. Let's pray.